Katie is out on injured reserves, and I am uh, filling in. Would you please uh, stand for the reading of God's Word? Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels from Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Matthew 2, 1-12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks, Bob. All right, we have this uh, this Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's. It's kind of post-Advent where we are, uh, had a distinct series in pre-New Year's starting. So we kind of have this in between Sunday. And uh, so I thought it'd be fun to, to go through this passage from Matthew 2, uh, which is after the birth of Christ, maybe even up to two years after the birth of Christ, and, uh, and kind of before... Uh, before his adult ministry. And so it's kind of in between our passage. And it's, um, <clears throat> it's also tied into most of Western Christianity's 
celebration of this time of year. There's the Advent, and then Christmas Day starts the 12 days of Christmas, and then right after that is the Feast of Epiphany, and that celebrates the arrival of the Magi. And so it's kind of tied up in this time for a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world too. So I thought it was fitting. Um, But as we uh, jump in, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be sitting in front of your word this morning, and we ask that you would open our hearts and, um, and thereby open our hands that we could drop what hinders us and receive what you want to give to us. By the power of Holy Spirit, would you do this, we ask. Amen. So have you ever, uh, you ever faced this dilemma at a party? You're hosting a party and people are coming in, or even just you're hosting people coming to your home, like the guests arrive, your family's coming in town for the holidays, whatever it is, and then they walk in the door and their hands are full of stuff. And you have to decide in that moment, am I going to be helpful or happy? You know, some people are just like, give me that. I'll take that and I'm going to go put it in your room. And then you, you disappear for 15 minutes while you get their pillows and their blanket and, you get, and you're gone. Or I'm going to go put this on the food table. Just, or you're like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. And then you can't do anything because they're holding all this big tray of food. Or you take it, let me hold that. And, I'm, and you do the lean in. Like that's a hug. You know, we have this difficulty when we arrive somewhere of being welcomed. But we also have to put down our stuff, Right? I think that is a very clever metaphor that I made up <laughs> for this passage. The, the Magi are welcomed in and they're called to put down their stuff. But in reverse, Herod and the Jews are also welcomed, but they refuse to let go. So we can look at this passage. I think the temptation in this passage is to get real into all the weird stuff. Um, I think that'd be better suited for another setting. If we get real into who were the Magi and where did they come from? Look, Magi, magicians, they're sorcerers. Good, can we move on? What was this star and how did, was it a supernova? Was it like a confluence of two planets? And what were they reading that led them? Look, it was a miraculous star that God put there and told them to follow it. Can we we go? Is that good? We're going to move on because... That's what happened. The text says the star went and went above the home where Mary and Joseph were. This is not like a supernova. It went above the home. The shepherd's sign was you're going to find a baby in a feeding trough. That's how you're going to know it's the king. The wise men, their sign is there's going to be a star over that house. That's how you're going to know. It's a miraculous star. Let's keep going. There's these gifts, and you can get real into, like, where they, where they gifts for, you know, gold for a king and frankincense because he's God and myrrh because it's a burial spice and he's going to die one day. That's what the, uh, the song says. I don't think, I, I mean, I don't know. There could be any, there's like, of course, there's some moral interpretation. I can't remember that one. But there's all different, why did they bring three gifts? What was that about? Look, the fact is they brought gifts. That's the important thing. And they laid it down. So let's not get caught up in all the weird parts of this text that don't make sense to us. Let's focus on why is this here? Why did Matthew want to put this in our Bible and hand it down? Why did he think this story was important to record for us? There's all these strange things that can kind of get us caught up in this. What does the passage mean? The passage means, in very short, the Magi 
are being what the Jews were supposed to be, and the Jews are playing the part of the wicked nation, the wicked nations, excuse me, the outsiders. The Magi, the outsiders, the Gentiles, the not part of God's people through Abraham, not those people, they're being what Abraham's children were supposed to be, and Abraham's children are, being, are playing the part of the wicked nations. They're acting like they don't know God. So Matthew is really intense making sure that he gets this message across to us. That the outsiders are in and the insiders are are so often out in Matthew's gospel. He makes this really clear. Matthew is writing to a Jewish Christian audience. So that's why you see all these uh, these quotations, direct quotations from the Old Testament. This was what to, this was written. This was done to fulfill X, Y, and Z. And that's all through Matthew's gospel because he's writing directly to a Jewish audience. And to that Jewish audience, he wants to be very clear: the outsiders are in this thing that God is doing. Listen, this Jesus thing is new. It's a continuation of what he started, and it's expanding, and the outsiders are in. You've got to know that if you're going to be part of this Jesus community, is what Matthew is saying to his original readers and to us. So he's got all these places. He's got the, the faith of the Roman centurion, where Jesus says to this guy, I have not found such faith even among Israel. Your faith is bigger than the people who are supposed to have faith. Matthew 15, the faith of the Canaanite woman, he, who Jesus turns her away, and then she says, yeah, but don't I even get the crumbs that fall from your table? And he says, because your faith is so great, I'm going to include you in this blessing. Matthew 21, Jesus says, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, the Jews, and given to a people who will produce its fruit. And even in our passage, beginning with chapter 1, Matthew starts off, with a genealogy that includes not only Gentiles, but Gentile women, like a double scandal. These are the ones who are inside. These are the ones who are being welcomed in. And then he includes this, the people who show up at the birth of the king of the Jews aren't even Jews. You, know, you look at something like a theme like this, and you, and you see where our brothers and sisters at New City Fellowship get it where they say, look, the kingdom is about this. This is it, bringing in the outsider, including different folks. The kingdom has to look diverse because that's what, that's what Matthew is telling us. It's got to be. It's got to include people who you think are outside. Because this Jesus is doing something new and powerful. So the Magi... These magicians, these sorcerers are doing what the Jews should be doing. They're they're coming curious and uncertain. They're not saying they know exactly what to do, but they're consulting God's word and then believing it. You know, they come to Jerusalem and they and the 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 white, you know, all the scribes uh, get together and they say, Oh, we know where the king is supposed to be born. It's in Bethlehem, and the Magi are like, We'll believe you. They believe God's word. That's kind of a pretty good mark if you're going to look at what a son of God is supposed to be like. When you don't know something about God, you look in his word and then you believe that. It seems overly simple, but I think we tend to complicate this. 
and act like we have to have it confirmed from like outside sources. When you have a question about God, you can consult his word and then believe what that says. That's been helpful to me this week and my own doubts. So they're being what children of God are supposed to be. They're following, they're believing God. They're following him. They're pursuing him. And they come, they enter this gathering and they lay down their gifts. They lay down this gold and frankincense and myrrh. So these guys were magicians. I think this is probably a pretty good understanding of these gifts. These guys, and by the way, we don't know if there are three of them or 30 of them. It just says there are three gifts, so we assume there's three of them. These, these sorcerers come uh, and lay these things down. The text says they dug into their treasures and pulled out these items to lay before Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh are all elements that are used uh, prolifically in black magic at the time. What we would call black magic. What they called some form of science, Right? They were trying to control the world around them. They're, this is the way they decided they were going um, to influence the world around them to their own benefit. They're gonna, or in other words, they're going to find life through sorcery. And the, and the ingredients of that sorcery very often are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it's those things that they lay at the feet of Jesus. So next time I walk into your house holding a tray of chocolate chip cookies that I do not want to lay down because these, this is what I want to eat. And you have to do the weird side hug. Like, can you put that? Uh, come on in. You got it. But I want the chocolate chip cookies. And I don't want to put them down and be part of the party. This is what I want to eat. If you ever find me at a party, I'll be by the food. No plate in hand because everybody's going to come there eventually. You get to see them all. And I'll be eating those chocolate chip cookies until I'm sick. These magi are welcomed in and they lay down the gift so they can enjoy the party. They lay down what they find life in. They lay down their former life. What's going to make them happy. What's going to make them secure. What's going to give them control. What's going to get them what they want. They lay it down at Jesus' feet. And Matthew And this passage is telling us that's what a child of God does. You're not part of the party until you put it down. So what are you and I clutching that keeps us from receiving? Just like Eric talked about in the offering setup. You've got to empty your hands so they can be filled by our God. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to that's keeping your hands from being filled by our good God? So the Magi are acting like God's children are supposed to act and believing and laying down their former life, the ways that they used to try and find life. But the Jews are acting like the Gentiles. King Herod is obviously, uh, you know, super wicked in, uh, in this passage. And he, he brings them in to, to a secret meeting to find out when the star appeared. And then he sends them out. I think it's really curious that he sends them out. Like, it doesn't say that he sent guards with them 
or he didn't go himself. He says, you guys go and find out where this baby is and then come back and tell me so I can also worship him. But if you read on in our passage, you find that that's not what Herod does. Herod, the wise man, it says in our passage, they get a, receive a dream and again they believe God's leading of them and they follow him and they go away by a different route and don't come back to Herod. And Herod finds out he's furious and then he decides to kill all the male children under two years old in Bethlehem according to the time that the star was reported to have appeared. So if the Magi are coming in and laying down what they think life is, uh, what they can get out of life, their access to life, their access to power and control, Herod is clutching it tightly and saying, there is nothing that will take this out of my hands. Herod was a, uh, was a tenuous king of this area. He wasn't in the, in the line of anything that any Jew would consider uh, a king of Israel at the time. He was a puppet king for Rome. And so his power was always really wa- uh, kind of waffly. Uh, and and the, people, uh, the people who really wanted to see God's king raised up knew that Herod probably wasn't the guy. And so when Herod hears there's the legitimate king is going to be born, he knows he's got to get rid of him if he's going to keep his power, if he's going to keep his access to power and his privileges. He's got to clutch it. And so Herod instead of coming to worship, is clutching his gifts. You've got to let go of your privileges. You've got to let go of your rights. There's a, uh, one of the reasons I love the school that my kids go to, one of the schools my kids go to, I've got two kids at Farallon School here on the mountain. And uh, one of the things I love about that school is its diversity. Uh, you've got people making however many hundred thousand dollars a year, and you've got people whose families are right on the poverty line and maybe even below. And there's, ton, there's a bunch, there's, a, there's a, a wide variety and a mix at Fairland School. Um, often what happens at the school is that, uh, that the, the, the parents who are asked to be room parents tend to be uh, wonderful uh, lovely mothers who who are uh, not working for pay but working to serve their family and the community and they uh, and they will run parties for the class right and oftentimes these parties are run in the way that these mothers would want to run them and these families would want to run them the the families from one type of of people in Fairland school i want to say i'm not downplaying any of that i'm not degrading okay this has nothing to do with the hearts of those women or the hearts of those families. Wonderful, godly servants. And they're going to run that party the way they see fit. There's one mom, though, that I love. She's one of our neighbors. And at her parties, she asks all the parents to do different things. She's going to bring, uh, you know, the mom coming from yoga is going to get to, to do the snacks. But the mom who drops her kids off wearing camouflage every morning at school is going to do the craft. And what happens when you do that? She knows how yoga mom's going to do the snacks. It's going to be organic. It's going to be healthy. There's going to be no sugar. The kids are going to hate it. She knows how that's going to go. It's, she's going to be able to like snap that picture and post it on Instagram perfectly. It's going to be beautiful. She doesn't know how camouflage mom is going to do the crafts. She doesn't know how camouflage mom is going to talk to her kid in the class. She's giving up control. 
She's giving up her right to make this beautiful and just the way she wants it, beauty in her, in her mind. Listen again, I'm not saying anything against yoga mom. That's it's not intended to be degrading in the slightest. I'm saying it's beautiful when those things come together, when, when different peoples come. And that's why I love our school, and that's why I'm so thankful for um, these folks who do it that way, who invite these outsiders in who otherwise don't get to participate in serving their kids in the classroom. But Herod is doing just the opposite. He's holding his power. He wants his kingdom to be Instagram worthy. He wants his life the way he wants it. How do I maintain my position? As we see that, as we see Herod holding on to the gifts he's been given of being king, As we see him clutching, Matthew is showing us, um, Matthew is showing us a retelling of the story of Israel. So if Matthew is doing this big thing, hey, look, guys, the outsiders are in. That's one of his big messages. The way he's telling it is retelling the story of Israel. And so Matthew is, I mean, uh, Matthew is telling the Exodus story again, the major story of Israel. Who are we? We're the people who God brought out of slavery with a strong arm and into this land. That's who we are. We're God's chosen special people. And we had to get out of that wicked land of Egypt where Pharaoh was killing our babies. Wait a second. Who's killing babies now? It's the Jewish king who's killing babies now. Where where does God's special people have to go for safety? Right after this passage, if you remember, Jesus and his family have to flee to Egypt. Matthew is telling us, look, it's so bad. The insiders are so wrong that now the promised land looks like Egypt, and Egypt in comparison is safe. So if Pharaoh is the new, um, excuse me, if Herod is the new Pharaoh, then that makes Jesus the new Moses the new and better Moses, the Moses who would lead people not just out of temporary slavery, but out of slavery to sin and death. And that's how Matthew tells his gospel story. How is is God leading his people out of slavery to sin and death? How is God leading the outsiders in? We talked a lot about how the Magi came to him in belief and faith and laying down their their gifts, laying down what they considered to be life previously. But how did God pursue them? He used so many different ways to get after them. He used creation, the star that appears miraculously. He's pursuing the outsider. He uses his word. Where's the baby going to be born? In Bethlehem. And he gives, he gives them his word to guide them. He even uses relationships, even relationships that are intended for evil. Did any of you guys see the new Mary Poppins movie that came out this week? Anybody with little kids? Some of you guys? I'm no, no spoilers, Michael, I promise. I'm the worst at that. No spoilers, but it was a blast. In the old Mary Poppins movie, um, you remember Michael Banks is one of the little kids. And one of the main conflicts, the difficulties in the old Mary Poppins movie is the, is the relationship between Michael, who wants to be a child, who wants to be frivolous and carefree, and his father, Mr. Banks, who's always saying, no, you can't do that. 
you have to make the, the responsible choice. You have to be in order. You have to be clean. You have to be on time, right? And that's the main point of the movie of the first Mary Poppins is Mr. Banks, you're an idiot. Be more like a child. Do you remember this? It's an oversimplification. There's all these, these, uh, these conflict moments between Michael and his father in the original Mary Poppins movie. And there's all these difficulties that happen through that relationship. And it is a sad and hard relationship through that movie. And what I love about this new Mary Poppins is that they revisit that relationship. That they, they take one of those sad and awful moments and it's redeemed in the new movie. It's redeemed as Michael, you know, is, was a child in the first one. Now he's the adult. Now he's the one being forced with responsible decisions and and challenges of grown-up life. I love that about that movie. I love this, that about this text because it's Herod who points them in the right direction. Herod who intends evil for them and for, for God's true king. Mr. Banks who wounds and, and, and hurts his son. It's redeemed. It's turned around. It's not wasted. And our God pursues you and me in that same way. He uses creation and he uses his word and he uses relationships. Even the ones that are so broken we can't imagine them being fixed. He's using to draw us to himself. Even as he used Herod to welcome the wise men to himself. His to our God is drawing and welcoming the outsider. Jesus is the new Moses who is leading God's people out of slavery to sin and death. And God is doing that through creation, through his word, through relationships, even broken ones. And he's doing it mostly, God is doing this mostly through the beauty and wonder of his own son, who in the incarnation, we're told in Philippians 2, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus is the one who opened his hands so that he could come here. He laid aside his glory so that he could be part of the salvation. And even on the cross, with arms outstretched and welcome, he paid the price that it it took to welcome the outsiders, to welcome sorcerers who who were into black magic and Mr. Banks's who were overly harsh with their children and everybody in between. The outsiders are in, and the insiders are out. When we meet this Jesus who welcomes the outsider, who invites us to lay down our gifts, to put down what we've clung to, we become much less concerned about protecting our position, our rights, our possessions, our privileges when we know this Jesus. We can let go of those things. And you begin to lay at his feet once what once gave you life. You lay down your treasures because you know that they're keeping you from the greatest treasure. Um two times a year that are particularly hard for me are my birthday and Christmas and not because any like tragic events that happened around those in my past. It's just because I get lots of stuff. 
Like those are the two times a year that there's a little bit of, like I get some gifts and I get some, a little bit of money. And then I think I don't have to put this towards the mortgage. This is really exciting. And then I spend a month in this like dance of like hating myself and being and like, dis- oh, you're so despicable. And like, oh my goodness, I got the thing. I always wanted a new pair of shoelaces that's just the right color. <laughs> I kind of go back and forth. But uh, even this week, and I love that the Lord uses things like preparing for a sermon to wake me up. As I was looking at this and like, oh, they laid down their gifts. And I thought, oh, Maybe I'm being called to lay down my gifts in some form. You know, I get some, I've got, I received some money over Christmas as gifts. And it wasn't until that moment that I thought, maybe somebody else needs this. Maybe the Lord would call me to give maybe even just a tithe of this. But once we meet this Jesus who's so generous and so welcoming, I can start to say, you know what? I don't need the shoelaces. I don't need the the perfect jacket for every situation, Bob. I don't need those things. Bob has confessed that in public. It's a fun joke we have. I don't need those things, even though I want them so badly. I, I can lay down those treasures. You can start asking questions and trusting his word with the answers. I know, again, that's simplistic and not sophisticated in the slightest, but it's true. And finally, we become drawn to the outsider. We become drawn to the one who's outside, who's not born in the right place or to the right parents or who doesn't have the right job, who doesn't wear the right clothes. Our Heavenly Father has pursued and welcomed us. Will you come on in and lay down your treasures before him? I hope you will. Amen.